You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 130 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I'm just sitting here as we chat and I'm yes. looking at my email on inbox which has 3,236 items oh, in it. Oh, that's ridiculous. How and could it? Say that. that's, and that's I'm thinking ridiculous. that I need to clean that out. So that's where I am right no, now. <laughs> no, no, I need to explore this. How in the world could you have that many? Don't you do stuff with the emails or do you let them sit in your inbox? Well, no, I do do stuff with them. And um, But what I sometimes do is if I don't act on it immediately, I let it sit in my inbox while I make notes of what I'm going to do and then I do it. Mm. Um, and then what I also do is I forget to delete things and so oh, yes. they, they kind of add up. And then I need to go oh. through and do one of those massive, you know, I'll probably go through at some point today, procrasty deleting. Yeah, procrasty deleting. At least a thousand of them. Wow. That's just like, that would know, cause me I anxiety. I know, I know. And I know, I, and I, it's making me anxious thinking about That's the anxiety right. that I would be causing you with this <laughs> statement. It's a terrible thing. Um, yeah, so oh. sorry about that. Anyone else out there who's currently experiencing anxiety, Kelly Exeter, if you're listening, I know that you are. Um, <laughs> I'm apologising for that. But, yeah, it's just one of those things. You, But do you never get to a situation where you're so busy that you just forget to do stuff like that, basics? The yes, basics. I do. But because I have a habit of trying to minimise my inbox and I try to act on as many of them as possible, whether that's to delete them or reply to them or just file them if – they don't need any action. I mm. try and do that like every day. And if I get more than say one screen's worth of emails. I one start, screen's worth? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not if I'm out all day, obviously that's unavoidable and I will attack it at the end of the day. But if I'm at my desk and I get more than one screen's worth, I, yes, start getting a little bit anxious. If I get two screens worth, more anxious, three screens worth. Oh my God. Like <laughs> that's, that's bad. And so oh, I work very hard to maintain it to one screen. Wow. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. Of course, when I'm traveling or away, I, I have to let go and I, or I have that, ex you know, I tell myself I have that excuse, but I will try and attack them, you know, in the that evening or something because I I don't think I could handle it. <laughs> okay, I'm <Yes>. sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I hope I it's not causing have, you. I should not have mentioned it, should I? See what I've done right yeah, there. I've just exactly. caused all manner of terrible things. I do. I do get behind. Clearly, I do get behind as mm. I've just you know outed myself as being behind. Um, but yeah, I promise that I will sort out at least a thousand by the end of today. Oh right? my god. 
I don't even mm. know how that's possible. That's amazing. Mm. All right. Well, Great. thank what you for sharing that. Apart from that? <laughs> <gasps> what am I doing? Goodness me. What have I done this week since I last spoke to you? I have been doing all manner of things. Have we discussed that I was at the Opera House next to the cast of My Fair Lady oh, eating a donut? Oh, no. I saw you all over social media sharing <laughs> photos of your dressing room and your fabulous mirror. And I'm thinking, what's she doing? Why were you there? I was trying to channel um, on a much, much, much smaller scale, uh, Billy Crystal or James Corden or, you know, I was hosting an awards night basically. And Wait. Sorry? Were you really? Yeah, like I was. Karina of the awards night. Did you make jokes, Val? Uh, I'm not great at making jokes. Did you share I, the history of word processing with them or I, did you perhaps <laughs> throw a word of the week their way just to I, really liven things up? <laughs> I didn't do a word of the week. No, I didn't. Oh, really? But it was really interesting, you know, going through the stage door and, yeah, I had my own dressing room and um, at one stage I got really hungry, so – I went to, they call it the green room, but it's it's like a giant cafeteria where um, all it's like a backstage cafeteria, and yeah. I um, I got a donut, <laughs> probably not the best choice. <laughs> chose and, the healthy option. Yeah, right? chose the healthy option, and there I was eating my donut right next to the cast of My Fair Lady as they are about to go on for the big scene. I, I'm pretty sure it was the big ballroom scene. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was exciting because that's one of my favourite musicals. And I wanted to tap them on the shoulder and say, I know all the words in case one of you <laughs> breaks your leg. <laughs> You're kidding. I really hope you didn't do that. I didn't. I held myself back also because I had to finish my donut and go back to um, where I was. And uh, so, yeah, it was really fun just going through the bowels of the opera house and checking it all out and Do you get food. nervous though? Like that's a pretty big thing. Wouldn't that just make um, you more nervous, like being in such surrounds? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. We had like rehearsals and stuff. Um, so that's that makes it a lot better because then you know what's going on or who's going on where and stuff like that. But they're so professional there and you just, you know, you just follow their cues and um, it was really fun in the end. So that was good. Hmm. Wow. Okay. There well you done, go. Val. There you go. Very and, good. oh, but oh, a little wait. bit anxiety-inducing because in the bowels of the opera house you can't get – data like you're not connected you can't your phone doesn't work so you can't I can't I couldn't reduce my emails you know oh no oh the stress <laughs> yes. I don't know how you coped with yourself really <laughs> with your 50 emails <laughs> exactly <laughs> anyway let's 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 move on shall we let's, let's get on to on. the writing stuff yes yes let's we're going to give a shout out to Richard Gilzine and he has said just caught the interview with John Birmingham which was a little while ago Someone I have been following since I saw falafel. And, of course, he means he died with a falafel in his hand. Um, as a staged performance at the Bridge Hotel Roselle back in the day. Agree wow. with the views on creating a, write, a writing routine habit, a.k.a. developing the sit 
sits flesh muscle. <laughs> Big fan of the Pomodori productivity tool as well. Need to get cracking on building that author profile. Ah, good to hear, Richard. Um, he says, my website is in need of some new content. Great podcast series. Regards from Richard. And Richard's actually currently a novel writing student at the Australian Writers' Centre. So good to hear that you have been listening to the podcast and it's you know, giving you some food for thought. I really enjoyed that interview with John as well. I thought yes. it was really interesting. And I love the contrast between his calm, measured approach and his torrid writing style. It was really, I found it quite an interesting uh, mm. conversation. Mm. Yes. Gosh, remember back, back in the day when the first time he died with a falafel in his hand came out? And yes, like, I do. Everyone I was knew. living it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was high. I was living it. Yeah. Oh, I was putting sticky notes on my butter. You know, it was, oh, <laughs> let's not even go there. Oh, the thing that stuck out for me, and I thought, thank God I've never lived in a share house that has done this. Well, apart from no one's ever died with a falafel in his hand in any share no. house I've lived in, but no. at least also no one has ever peed into the, you know, vegetable contain crisper of the fridge. Oh. Yeah, no. Yeah, gross. Yeah, no. Anyway, yeah, I don't gross. know why that's stuck in my brain. But well, <laughs> yeah, now that you've given it, I've just got that image burned into mine now as well. So thanks for that. That's great. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, now remember how last week we interviewed uh, not only Candace Fox but also um, the children's book illustrator Giuseppe Poli. Yes, I do. Right. And Giuseppe Polly is an IT uh, guy by day and a children's book illustrator by night. And I said he lived a life like Batman. Well, yeah. Giuseppe has taken inspiration from that. And if you, you can go to his Facebook page, just search for Giuseppe Polly artist on Facebook. And he has actually illustrated, since the um, podcast came out, he illustrated. Um, Himself as Batman in front of his computer illustrating his I children's know, it's books. it's fab, isn't it? I, I love, love it. it. So cute. Um, yeah, very, very clever. So good on you, Giuseppe. That was, uh, that's uh, really good fun. I love it. Um, but let's move on to the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week, shall we? Let's, let's do that. Yes, good idea. I found this great little link um, from DW. So dw.com mm -hmm. and it's just, it's called five famous writers you probably didn't know had unrelated jobs for years. Now this only has a couple, you know, a handful of writers because, but I think a lot of writers have quite interesting um, day jobs, just like mm. Giuseppe, right? You know, mm. and they, they write or illustrate in his case uh, in the evening. Did you know that um, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, you know, the author of The Little Prince? Yes. Uh, it was actually a pilot. Oh. And he used to write his books, you know, when he was waiting, like for planes and stuff. Wow. Yes. And um, he, he, the little prince was inspired by his crash landing in the Egyptian, Egyptian desert in 1935. And he had to walk through the desert for five days before being rescued by a caravan. Wow, so, yes. I didn't know that. Author, well, pilot by day, author by night, sort of, not exactly, but you know, <laughs> we're not on planes. And Kafka mm. uh, was an insurance agent 
So oh. he he you know he studied law, then became an insurance agent, and he worked on his novels and stories at night. Oh, so okay. There are a lot of very very successful authors who uh, have day jobs. So don't wow. think that you need to quit your job and throw yourself full time into being an author. You can certainly do it um, while you do something else. How's Rosamond Pilcher though? Who yeah. you know if you had a you know, if you grew up in sort of the 80s, my mother used to love her. She wrote, um, I think, The Shell Seekers or The Seekers. Anyways, I've lost the, lost the title. But she yeah. was incredibly phenomenally successful. Yes. Um, she had her breakthrough at the age of 60. I know. Isn't that inspiring? It's never too late. No. And before that, that, she was a housewife and a secretary. So there you go. Mm. She wrote dozens of novels and stories and was still doing it at 91. Mm. So I say go Rosamond. Yeah, go Rosamond. Mm. And, of course, people often say that numbers and words don't mix, although I disagree. Of course. Um, and so would Lewis Carroll right. because he was um, a maths teacher. Ah. Yes, whose name was actually Charles Ludwig Dodgson. Mm. Uh, and uh, he remained devoted to the world of numbers until his death. But, of course, he did enjoy – um, his own storytelling. So, wow. yes, you can certainly be into numbers and words, as Lewis Carroll attests. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Now, let's move on to another link. Now, now NaNoWriMo is coming up. It is coming up. It's yes. looming large. Looming large. Coming up in November. And if you don't know what NaNoWriMo is, uh, it is a month-long event for November where people from all over the world who participate in NaNoWriMo, which is short for National Novel Writing Month, attempt to write a novel in that month mm -hmm. or around 50,000 words, which is about 1,667 words per day on average. And I think the terminology, Al, because you've done it several times, is that you you win NaNoWriMo, don't you? You do win, yes. Mm -hmm. If you get your 50,000 words, you have to upload them to the website for verification and then you win. And I, you can either buy a T-shirt or you get a T-shirt or there's some kind of, you know, there's a T-shirt involved if you <laughs> if you win. I think um, Anna Spargo Ryan, who has won a couple of times, might have a T-shirt. I'm not exactly oh. sure. But, yeah, you know, there's a T-shirt, you know, like did the journey, got the T-shirt, that kind yes. of stuff. Um, and, yes, so 50,000 words in 30 days is the – is the aim of the game and you sign up at nanorimo.org um, and then you get your own little page and you can become friends with people and there's a graph which of course is the main um, the main sort of reason I do this is basically you get a graph which shows you your progress and tells you how close you are to your goal and anyone who actually uses Scrivener to yeah. write will be very very aware of the graph and the importance of goal setting and that kind of stuff and NaNoWriMo is uh, simply a group version of that. You like the graph that spurs you on? I like the graph. Well, what about the is it is a is does the graph compare you to other people? No. It's the just your own just graph. It's just your own graph and you can just see your progress basically. Right. As you go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, this post that I found on The Right Life is actually uh, called How to Prepare for NaNoWriMo, Your Four-Week Success Plan. And it's actually referring to what you can do in October, in the four weeks preceding NaNoWriMo, in order, in order to prepare well for NaNoWriMo. And we'll put the link in the show notes, of course, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. However, I think potentially – 
preparing for it for four weeks is a bit overkill, do you think? Well, it's also against the spirit of nano. Let's just put that out there right now because the whole point of nano is to write a rough draft. It's just to kind of start writing and see what comes out. And the only Mm. rule is to write every day. So in many ways, the whole preparing thing is, you know, goes against the the spirit of it. But Mm. I do understand that for a lot of people, the whole premise of writing 50,000 words in 30 days is so daunting that getting some kind of a plan together, and I'm talking to the, you know, the spreadsheet users among you, um, Mm -hmm. is is a really good idea because it gives you uh, something to focus on when everything else goes pear-shaped. So I think that, you know, from that perspective, um, it's probably a good idea. Um, but the guy who founded Nano, and I can't remember his name, I'm actually going to have to look him up, mm-hmm. actually wrote a book called No Plot, No Problem, which oh, I yes. have on my shelf. Um, and it was essentially, you know, how to how to approach Chris Beatty, his name is. Mm. Um, it's a, you know, no plot, no problem, a low stress, high velocity guide to writing a novel. And it's essentially what Nano is all about. It's kind of like, you know, you start with an idea and you start writing and you just push through until – because at the end of the day, you will finish NaNoWriMo with 50,000 words if mm. you win, yep. um, but it's not a novel. No. So even it's, if it's even it's if a it's, great start. It's a fantastic start. But mm. even if you're writing middle grade, it's like I like I do, like mm. I finish NaNoWriMo. I mean, I've never won, um, but I usually finish with around – well, you know, I remember we, I think we discussed this once. I did finish with 48,000 words <laughs> one year and you were horrified. Yes. I know. Um, but it's not really the point for me. But, um, yeah, I finished with 48,000. But you like the graph. Didn't you want to see the graph go to the end? Oh, I just, you know, I, it, it's one of those things where I, I just go with the idea that every word I have by the end of the month is a word I didn't have at the start. And November um, November in the United States where this originated is probably a nice, quiet, wintry kind of month. Mm. November in Australia, if you oh, have school-aged children, hectic, is insane. Crazy. So I, you know, for me, and, and of course you then also doing you know, your day job stuff and writing other yep. stories and trying to keep on top of things. I have a really busy November coming up um, for a lot of different reasons. And so, you know, I, I, if I if I get 25,000 out in November this year, I'll be very, very happy with myself. Yeah, very. yeah. Mm. Maybe they should make it Janorimo when it's well, quiet. you know, you just got to you got to go with it. I mean, what it does give me, and what I know, it gives a lot of authors because I do know a lot of um, published authors, professional authors who do do nano every year, yes. and they do it because it gives them uh, a focal point of when to start writing the next book. <laughs> yes, and everyone you else know? is doing it. It's great to be doing it with a group. That's right. But even if you're only writing middle grade, which is, you know, around the 55,000 mm-hmm. mark, even if you get 50,000, most of what you've got to do then is rewrite the whole thing anyway. And if you're writing an adult novel, you're going to be 40,000 words short mm. of, of your of your goal, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not going to be a whole book, but it is going to be an excellent beginning. So I agree with you that it's this idea of planning for uh, for Nano for the four weeks preceding it is not quite in the spirit of Nano. However, no. what I'm interested to know from you, because you've done it, you know, a few times, mm. is do you prepare for it in terms of just sort of setting aside some time, thinking, okay, my cafe time is when I'm going to do my writing for November or, you know, set, setting some kind of time so that oh, you yeah, do. Oh, yeah, I definitely set aside time. Okay. Um, not cafe time because, as we've discussed, I can't write in cafes. Okay. Um, but, no, uh, at night I set aside, you know, I try to set aside an hour a day uh, at some point and usually that ends up being 
a nighttime thing. Right. Um, so, and I try to, because uh, usually, you know, if I'm, if, if all's going well, I can do around about 1500 you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred words in an hour, depending on um, where I am in the story and and what sort of progress I'm making. Um, so I do try to set aside at least an hour a day to kind of get the words done. I, you know, I it, it takes time to write sixteen hundred and sixty seven words a day. Yeah. So you actually need to make the time to do it. You've yeah. got to set that time aside in your timetable, in your schedule. So I know what I've got coming up in November, and I know that it's going to be really busy, and I know that I'm probably not going to get to uh, the 50,000 word mark, mm. but that is, doesn't mean that I'm not going to try and set aside time each day to try and get something done. Um, so some days I, I've got a bit of travel on. And so some days mm. it might just be half an hour, you know, wedged in with other things. Yep. Um, but I will try to get some words done every day. That's, that's what needs to happen. Yep. If you want to do this, you have to make time to get some words written every day. If you break the chain, like if you don't get some words done because for whatever reason, do you find it harder to get back on? Um, it is, uh, no, it becomes more of an overwhelming urge for me to, because I, I know that I've done, I know I've missed some and yeah, I know right. that I'm behind. So then it becomes really, really important to me the following day to make sure I get something done. And, you know, again, some days it's 400 words because, you know, that's all I can fit in, but at least it's 400 words and it's not, you know, I've got something to put on my graph, even if I'm not, you know, cracking the 1600. What I yeah. usually find and what I find with most people is that they will, I, I try to get as many words down in that first week that I, as I can. Like mm. I, I will, I will write well beyond the sixteen sixty seven in that first week because the momentum is with me and I'm excited and I and I'm getting my way into the story. So I, you know, you can get your first sort of ten to fifteen thousand words down pretty easily because you haven't hit the hard stuff yet, mm. and it's only in week two. Um, when you start to get into the middle of it, that you start to hit the hard stuff, and that's when you're going to slow down. So I try to put myself ahead where I can in yeah. the first week. Great. All right. Well, if you're thinking of doing NaNoWriMo, make sure you let um, you – are you doing Write a Book with Al or do Nano with Al or anything like that? Yeah, I'll probably uh, – look, well, I'm doing it, so I'll probably write a book with Al and you can all see how incredibly ridiculous my schedule is in November. But, um, yes, I will definitely uh, – And they do that via your Facebook page? Yeah, on my Facebook page, hashtag Write a Book with Al. I'd love to see how you're getting on. So, yep. you know, come join me. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Um mm. And yeah, I'll definitely be there. And, you know, I'm pretty honest. If I post zero words, I'll let you know, because I think it's important for people to see that, um, you know, it's an ebb and flow thing. Yeah. And But just know that I am trying to get words done every day. It not, doesn't necessarily work out for me in much the same way as it doesn't work out for everyone else. But I'm trying to get that, that time set aside. Yeah. I just, make the time where I can. Yeah. Join in. Join in uh, to with Write a Book with Al during NaNoWriMo. Okay. So I also came across another post uh, also from The Right Life called Six Big Ways to Say Yes to Your Writing Career. And a couple of them I thought were good because the thing is I read this and I thought, oh, yeah, this is obvious. Um, 
And I thought Alison's also going to think that this is really obvious. But the thing is, Al, both you and I have already said yes to our writing career. And I think if you take us back to like a long time ago when we were thinking of it, it's a very, very different mindset. And Mm -hmm. I meet a lot of people who want to transition to become writers, but they haven't had the opportunity yet or haven't um, had the confidence yet to do it. Or I've seen their writing, it's actually really good, but they – they're insecure about it. And yeah. a couple of things stood out for me um, on this. And one was uh, like attend a writing conference or I would also say attend a writing conference or a course, not necessarily because you are going to learn stuff even though you probably will anyway, mm. but mm. so you can be among like-minded people. Yeah, I agree. And just – Talk to them about what you do. Like what do you find most valuable when you go to a writing conference or something or course or something of that nature? I just like to – it's like the one time in your life that you can just – merge yourself in writing and you know, mm. you know you're not going to bore everyone senseless by talking <laughs> about nothing but writing, which is pretty much what I would like to talk about most of the time, but I do hold myself back. Yeah. Um, this is why I appreciate our podcast each week because I can kind of <laughs> get all this stuff off my chest. I'm really just having a counselling session for me. But yeah, no, you can go and you meet a lot of other people and you, you know what, and you find yourself being unafraid to say, yeah, I'm a writer. Mm. Yeah, that's what I do, you know. And at the moment, maybe it's a, it's a, you know, second, uh, what do you, what would you call it, second shift thing. But it's still mm. an important part of my life, and I'm going to bring it more into focus by talking about it and making it a priority. And here I am talking about it and making it a priority. So yeah. I think that it's important. Definitely, definitely. And I would add a caveat to that because there are writing conferences and courses and retreats and I think that they're all um, they're all fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that you you'd need to look at who's on the lineup, so to speak. If you're going mm. to a conference, look at who's on the lineup. If you're going to a writing retreat, look at who's leading it. If you're going to a course, look at who the teacher is mm. and make sure that you're learning from somebody who, well, with experience and mm. with expertise in writing because that's not always the case. No, not always. The other thing in this post is, and this is particularly for fiction writers, not so much for you know freelance writers or magazine writers, is to join some kind of writing critique group or workshopping group or just some kind of group of other writers because you, and you may have met, met them at the conference even or at a course. Like a lot of people go to do our courses at the Australian Writers' Centre, become friends and then jo- form their own workshopping groups. Mm. But what is good about that is that ongoing support. Because, Absolutely. you know, it's just so good to be able to get feedback um, from people on a regular basis. And you don't have to do it weekly because that can be a bit much sometimes because, you know, life takes over unless you're really, really keen. But even if you meet up monthly, mm. um, it's a great way to stay connected with those like-minded people but to get invaluable feedback. I mean, when you've sent your things to people for feedback, what's been the surprising result of some of the, the feedback? Well, I look, I think I, I'm just going to say that I think one of the most important things that you need to do when you're choosing, you know, your critique group is to find people who are are at the same point in their yes. writing journey as you are. Mm. And by that, I don't necessarily mean, you know, that they you're all writing the same thing or anything like that, but perhaps you're you're all at the point where you've got 
you know, uh, you're either all starting a manuscript or you've all you're all well and truly into a manuscript, or perhaps you're with a group of people who've all decided that they're going to really concentrate on doing this and, you know, take it to the next level. And it's really interesting because I just, um, I've just conducted a a Skype conference session with, um, with a writer who has joined up with a group of writers that she met via Twitter um, and via, you know, various communities that she's in and that they, they're the same people kept popping up in the same places. So they're all based in Melbourne. So they meet once a month. Um, and they're all people that I've noticed coming through, you know, in my community in the sense that they're, uh, they're all very serious about what they're doing. They're, they're really keen. They want to be writers. They want to be published authors. They're all working on their platforms. I'm seeing them coming up, you know, in the sense of starting to stand out in the group, in the crowd, so to speak. Oh. They're all at that point and they've banded together and they're working on their, on their manuscripts together and they give each other feedback and they've set up, um, they've set up an online sort of uh, private forum for themselves so that they can, um, you know, upload bits of their manuscripts for various, uh, assessments and so they're taking it very seriously so wow. if you're not at that point if you're just at the point where you're starting out that's probably not a group for you mm. so you, you need to find people who are at the same sort of point in the yes. journey as you are so that you can all grow together and I think that that's um that's probably something that's quite an important thing um as far as the feedback goes I think it's important to listen to you know I think as as authors, we sometimes we sometimes put our work forward in the hopes that we're going to hear what we want to hear, <laughs> and and so I think it's important to recognise when you're hearing the same message from three different people, and even if it's couched in different terms, just because you don't want to hear it doesn't necessarily mean it's not what you should be hearing. And I've yeah. had this, this, you know experience myself where you put something out that you absolutely love and they all come back to you and, and in different ways say to you, actually, I think it would be better from a different point of view yeah. or I think it, you don't need this scene for your book or whatever. Um, it's important that even if those things are coming at you in worded differently to mm. try to get to the kernel of the message and the message is you need to lose this scene. Do you know what I mean? It's yes. that kind of thing. So. <laughs> Don't put it out there just hoping that they're all going to tell you a ge- that you're a genius. <laughs> and if they all do tell you that you're a genius, you might need a different group. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is that you're all learning. Nobody's really a genius. There's always going to be a way to improve things. So what you're looking for is not constant carping, you know, nitpicking, but yep. that, just that sense of are you getting consistency of feedback, I guess, is what you need. Yeah, that's great. At the right level of feedback. At the right level, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Wonderful. Shall we move on to our giveaway for this week? Oh, yes. What have we got? Yes. Something a bit different. This week, week, we have two books by author Daniel O'Malley to give away. Hmm. They follow the goings on in the Supernatural Secret Service. What fun. Yes, yes. <laughs> As told in The Rook, which won the 2012 Aurelis Award for Best Science Fiction Novel and its sequel, Stiletto. Mm-hmm. So if you're into that, we have uh, both of those books to give away and you can enter at writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now, entries close Monday the 24th of October, but don't worry if you visit that URL in the future, there will be another giveaway for you to have a look at. So writercentre.com.au slash win. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course in writing books for children and young adults will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash WBC. Shall we move on to our word of the week this week, Al? Let us. I know you've heard of this word. Okay. <laughs> Good. It's not like a, um, a rare or common or, or, or unused word. It is actually a very frequently used word, but I thought we would talk about where the word comes from. Okay. And it is dinosaur. Because oh. dinosaurs are just everywhere, right? Yeah, you know, I see yeah, them everywhere. Are. Kids are obsessed with dinosaurs. Yeah. There's dinosaur exhibitions, there's dinosaur shows, there's dinosaurs at every single freaking cafe that I go to because kids <laughs> have got their dinosaur toys on the table. Yes. So, where does the word dinosaur come from? It was actually coined by the scientist Sir Richard Owen, who had been studying various fossils found of, you know, dinosaurs, and he came to the conclusion that they were from a group of large extinct reptiles. So, he classified them as dinosauria, and that was that was coined from the Greek word dinos, which means terrible, and mm-hmm. saurus, which means lizard. So, terrible <laughs> lizard. Nice. But then specific authors, no, not authors, specific dinosaurs were then subsequently named by, by some kind of description of what they look like. So a triceratops was literally a three-horned face mm. because there was tri, three, sura, or ker- from keras, ho- um, um, horn, and mm. ops, which is face. I know, you're fascinated, fascinated. I am, I am. The giant tyrannosaur came from the word tyrannos, which means, unsurprisingly, tyrant. So now you can tell your boys that and they'll think their mum is so smart. They would probably tell me, you realise, because, you know, they've both gone through their phases of reading all the dinosaur books. But, you know, they each of them has had a friend or someone, you know, or brother of a friend who's been totally and utterly nutsedly obsessed with dinosaurs. Like yes. there's, there's a certain type of kid, mostly boys, who just mm. go completely mental for them. So they, they could do. probably tell me that, Val, that I won't ask them or I'll just look silly. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. D- different wor- different approach to the word of the week this week, dinosaur. Excellent. So who is our writer in residence this week, Al? Well, this week we have quite an interesting writer in residence because yes. our writer in residence is actually Richard Roxburgh, who is better known to our um, particularly Australian audience and also internationally as, um, as an actor. And yes. Uh, has graced many a screen in his day um, in a in a very, shall we say, decorative manner, and so I have to say I was somewhat surprised a few weeks ago when I received uh, in the mail uh, mm-hmm. a book for Book Boy, oh, yes. uh, who's my son, for bookboy.com.au to review, and it was a book called Artie and the Grime Wave, mm-hmm. and the author was Richard Roxburgh, and I thought what. <laughs> <laughs> And then 
um, we actually gave it to Book Boy Junior, who is Mr. Nine, because he's more of the age group for that particular book. Right. And he was reading it and we realized, he goes, oh, I really like the drawings in this mum. And, you know, they're by the same guy. And I realized that said Mr. Richard Roxburgh had also done the illustrations for this particular book. Um, oh, so, my goodness. And it's actually great. So Mr. Nine is is a real fan. He loved it. Um, it's, a, it's a very fun – like, I said to him, I asked him to write a review for it and all he said was uh, it was funny. And then I said, and, and a bit more. Oh, no, it was just, it was funny, mum. It was really funny. It was funny. I'm going, so I'm like, so when I interviewed um, Richard, I was like, well, you know, I heard the book's funny. That's <laughs> about all I heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a great old chat about how he came to write a children's book, mm. uh, the process of doing that for him and, you know, sort of how it's been received. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Richard Roxburgh. Richard Roxburgh is a successful Australian actor and director. For his work in films like Moulin Rouge to the lead role in TV's Rake, as well as his many highly acclaimed performances with the Sydney Theatre Company, Richard Roxburgh has become a household name. Now he's written and illustrated Artie and the Grime Wave, his first book for children, which is out now through Alan and Unwin. So welcome to the program, Richard. Um, very, very nice to have you aboard on your first exciting adventure and your maiden journey, shall we say, as an author. Um, so my first question for you, I guess, would be, how did you come to write a book for children? Um, well, I, I, I suspect it came through a variety of things. I was... Um, I was writing the odd column for, I was asked to write the odd column for the Sydney Morning Herald for the Spectrum magazine. And um, just quite randomly, I suspect, and and I I really enjoyed it. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the process of it and had a lot of fun doing it. So I think that gave me a little bump of confidence. And then that combined with the, fact, the matter of reading bedtime stories to my children uh, uh, for the last, you know, well, nine years now, um, and the great pleasure that that was bringing me, especially at a certain point when um, the literature that I was reading was just so beautiful, and it reminded me of the, the the books that had made such a big impact on me. And I guess I started then um, dwelling on the the notion of doing some writing myself for kids. Okay, so when you were writing those first columns for the Sydney Morning Herald, is that the first kind of writing that you'd done, you know, since school or have you been doing other bits and pieces for yourself along the way? I mean, because it's, it's kind of daunting, like, please write us a column, Richard, off you go. <laughs> I think it started out as a, um, as a sort of theatre diary. That was probably the first one and that was sufficiently entertaining or whatever for them to ask me back when then Richard Glover went uh, overseas or something to to fill in for for his work um, but yes, big shoes. it was pretty much yeah <laughs> indeed it was that was the that that was the first um, writing that I'd essentially done since yeah since high school I guess or since um, you know uh, essays at university Wow, okay. So you've now got Artie and the Grime Wave, which you've written and illustrated. Is this the first manuscript that you actually ever attempted? It is, yes. Wow. Um, absolutely. Oh, look, 
having said that, you know, because of the nature of my work, I've always kind of tinkered around the periphery of writing uh, film scripts and um, television scripts, but always came to the conclusion that um, I'm a much more collaborative person, and this was a this was a, a, a process and um, uh, a line of work that I wouldn't be suited to okay. because I'm so you know I so I always need to be sort of shooting the breeze with somebody really. Um, so I shelved so many of those things along the way and just decided, look, that's something I can't do. So I think taking the departure into something completely. Um, diverse from my usual line of work was also an important step because it relieved me of any sense of um, its association and of sort of um, you know uh, a, a um, of, of the the thing as a as a uh, a money okay, um, yeah. thing so that it wasn't associated in that way and that was important for me as well. Okay, so how long did it actually take you to to create the manuscript? Like, when did you start the process? Not too long. Um, once I put my mind to it, I guess it took around about five months. And it, it happened at a kind, you know, it had to slot in around other work and it happened at a reasonably leisurely clip. I would work for probably three hours um, a day when I was writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it, it didn't take all that long once I was underway. Did you find, I, I guess, having kids yourself, were you essentially writing the book for them as your kind of pre, you know primary audience, so to speak, like you had an ideal reader in your mind? Or were you writing something that you would have liked to have read as a kid? Or how did you – was it just one of those things where you had this random idea for Artie? Like what, what was the kind of process for the inspiration of it, I guess? I – suspect I was writing it both for myself and for my probably oldest boy or the age that my bo- oldest boy was at that time, which was around, you know, eight, eight and a half years old. Right. Um, and he's nine. So he's nine now. And so I, I, I suppose having him there, it was a very useful element in the writing because not only could I test run it, but I knew exactly where he was. Um, uh, in 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 as a as a kind of guinea pig for for literature, I knew precisely the type of thing that would entertain him, but it also you know it really had to entertain me as well. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. Yeah, no, that's very true. Were you thinking like at what point did you think to yourself, oh, this this could be publishable? <laughs> at what point? Um, <laughs> well. Once I had a really substantial, what I because I'm a terribly uh, disorganised person, terribly yeah. disorganised. Um, what I thought I needed to do was to create a very substantial document, which was a, um, uh, a comprehensive plot outline. Ah. And once I'd done that. I felt comfortable in being able to then go to uh, a publisher okay. and say, uh, and go around with that and say, this is it. And um, if you're keen, I can go ahead with this. Great. Um, so, so then there was a deadline, which was a very important component as well. Right. Okay. Yes. Otherwise, you would probably still be working on it. Indeed. <laughs> 
It's right. extraordinary the power of procrastination. I mean, oh, I've yes. never, I've, I've never, I've, you can, once you really put your mind to it, it's incredible how much procrastinating you can do. I, well, I'm um, a writer, so, so, so having I that understand. deadline was great. Excellent. Sorry. I said I'm a writer. I completely understand the work, the yeah. <laughs> world of procrastination. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The house is spotless, yeah. <laughs> the fridge is clean. I get it. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so you had the whole story planned out in advance and you worked to the outline of that basically. I did and I, th- I thought that seemed like a fairly natural way of doing things but I have writer friends who assure me that that's almost completely insane, um, that they would never work like that. So, you know, um, I guess it's just, um, you know, it's whatever you need to get you through it. But for me, it was having that really solid um, uh, piece of architecture in place was absolutely critical. And I felt very comfortable in so that the writing itself became really quite a delicious thing. It became quite, um, you know, like just just luxuriating and savouring all of the sort of details and all the fun bits. That sounds like a nice way to work. All right, so... I tried to, I tried to sort of tempt a, a, a novelist friend of mine uh, into, <laughs> into this method, saying it really was a great way. And she tried it momentarily and just said, no, it's, it's all <laughs> nonsense, doesn't work at all. So, so there you go. All right. So um, as an actor, you're used to taking on the voice of, you know, whichever character you're playing at any given time. But as a writer, you really have to tap into your own voice. Did you find that challenging at all? I didn't really give it very much thought. It's a really great question. I I don't think I gave it very much thought because I suppose I suspect that by the time I was writing it, I knew what or I, I could feel what the voice was going to be. I knew it was going to have a kind of rollicking, adventurous energy to it, and I knew that, that, that it was going to have quite sort of outlandish characters and that, that, you know, there was going to be quite a lot of jeopardy. So I knew it had to really turn pages and be a lot of fun. So I guess I was tapping into that idea. Okay, so my nine-year-old son has, has read and reviewed the book, and the one word on repeat, oh, oh yeah, and the one word on repeat in that particular review was funny. Like I said to him, "What's the book like?" He says, right. "Funny." Right. What did you like about it? It's funny, right. you know, funny, funny, funny. So <laughs> right. I guess, oh yeah, funny. Um, did you intentionally say? I mean, because funny is hard, and funny for kids is actually a lot harder than anyone mm. I think ever gives you credit for. Um, so mm. when you're when you're writing, are you are you you talked about, you know, setting out to create a sense of fun and rollicking and all that sort of stuff, but actually putting in the jokes and making it funny, was that an intentional thing? Were you thinking, oh, yes, this is funny, or is it just what came out and then you kind of read it to your kids and hope they laughed? Um, it's a combination of, of all of the above, really. I knew I, I knew I wanted it to be funny because that's my – I mean, that, the, the, the fun of it is the kind of narrative life raft in a way that, keep, that, that kids will be going down this, this river on. They will be, you know, they will be carried along on a tide of chuckles, I'm <coughs> hoping. Um, because there's, there's, you know, there's other things in it. There's also, you know, there, there are quite a lot of other elements. And in fact, you know, my, my protagonist is having an incredibly difficult life and he has a mother who to all intents and purposes to the adult 
yeah, has you know agoraphobia mm. and she, she he has a father who's died and so he's in terrible straits and a sister who's the angriest 16 year old in the world so uh, and he's picked on at school and he's never you know he has, he's basically bringing himself up and he's terrified of life and of adventure so there's a lot at stake there um and so there's you know there's a there's a for me there was a very important um emotional a component to the work as well that that um, I needed to make sure it was in place. Otherwise, it would just be funny, and that was not at all what I wanted. Um, but the, so the, so the fun was, um, you know, the fun was a really important key. But it it's um, it it was important to try and uh, create a, a balancing act of of quite a lot of different flavors. Well, I think that's what engages kids too. Like if you only try to engage them on that one level, they often won't even remember the book by the time they're finished, whereas he's definitely gone through and read the whole thing, which is also unusual for a nine-year-old boy. Great. And, that is great. That's great. And come back and said, I you know. It. Yeah. Well, you kind of had him. He read the back of the – I gave it to him and he read the back of the book and he saw that there was a character called Bumshoe. <laughs> So, of course, you had him right there because you can't go past the word bum when it comes to nine-year-olds. So, um, yeah, right. bum, right. So, I guess uh, there's another question. Was Are you just sort of unleashing your own eight- or nine-year-old self in, in this sort of stuff as well? Because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, fun in that sort of, you know, bum mm. shoe and that sort of stuff. I think so. I think you have to. I mean, I'm, I, I suppose I find myself having kids that age you know, spending quite a lot of time unleashing that part of myself because, you know, when we play, you know, I'm mucking around with them. I'm down on their level at times and quite a lot of the time. And um, and so I'm, I suppose it was something that became increasingly easy for me to access that, that kind of, you know, the nonsense mm. stuff that kids love. They just love nonsense. And you can forget that and you can mistake the fact that they've suddenly grown, you know, six centimeters in the last uh, three months for maturity and you suddenly start to think, oh God, you know, they're they're getting so, you know, they still love nonsense. They love Mm. pants down. They love bum, you know, they love all of the stuff, all of the, that, that silly stuff. Um, And so, you know, I I was, I was aware of that and trying to tap into that. Excellent. All right. So you also illustrated the book, which, you know, I admit I was surprised when I realized that you'd done the illustrations as well. It's like, is there anything this man cannot do? But how important was that? Oh, there are a lot. A lot of things, by the way. (laughs) We don't need to go into that. That's fine. (laughs) So was that an important part of the process for you to, to do your own illustrations? It was. In a way, if I'm thinking back, I can't. I mean, look, I'd, I'd always been trying to find a place to to park these little doodles that I'd done, and it's not like they're the type of work that that will end up in an in an exhibition or something. They're not, you know, they're not they're not substantial in that way. Um, they're just fun um, additional bits of creativity and expression that I've always done. I've always done my little guys with big noses and my. <laughs> My funny dogs and my, and also a sort of passing parade of caricatures of those around me. Um, uh, so, 
you know, for for opening night in the theatre, I would do a sort of caricature of, of or or a, um, some sort of a um, a drawing of the of the, the characters, for instance, that my my friends were playing in the thing, and and um, so that's always been there, and it was always going to be the case that I would. I would do the illustrations myself, yeah. Okay. So did you write the whole manuscript and then, you know, slot in the illustrations or did the illustrations develop as you went along? I mean, how did you decide what to illustrate and where? Well, it was an interesting, um, it was an interesting voyage, that one. As I, as I was writing, I at first started imagining and, and um, inserting um, you know, uh, uh, this would be a moment for an illustration. So I, I put, you know, in brackets, illustration. Um, <laughs> and after a while, I got sick of that. And I also thought, look, it's going to change anyway. So just don't bother doing that. So I stopped that at some point. When I then, when I, uh, and then before I finally submitted the manuscript, I went through and chose all my places to put um, my um, my drawings. And then in working with my editor, um it became apparent that a lot of the places were we, that we disagreed on a lot of those places. So it was an interesting process. Mm. Um, I think I had to reach an understanding of, of the purpose of an illustration. It sounds so obvious when you think about it, but what I was in fact probably guilty of was doubling up. So I would yeah. do, I, you know, there'd be a passage that was quite descriptive and then I would draw it, mm. you know, and that's not really the point. So there was some very useful things because I'm a, you know, I'm a virgin in this world. So and there was a lot of, there were a lot of useful lessons that I, that I um, needed to, to um, get a grip of. Okay. So as a first time author, as a virgin, was there anything that surprised you uh, about the process of getting a book like that, you know, that really surprised you along the way about the process of getting a book published? Yeah, there were quite a few things that really surprised me. Um, I was surprised at the pleasure that I took in it, uh, the, the sitting down and writing of it, because I guess I'd found my attempts at you know writing um, film or television or theatre a bit of a punish. Mm. So I was really shocked at how what what a sort of unalloyed pleasure that part of it was. I was then surprised, I guess, in the editorial process by there – there were just some things that blindsided me. There was a matter of uh, point of view, which I had taken for granted, the, you know, this sort of authorial voice thing so that I could kind of tilt my camera around and look at a whole bunch of stuff that my protagonist couldn't see. And so, you know, my editor at some point had to say, you, you need to – you know, you need to point you uh, – camera only where your protagonist can see otherwise mm. you're cheating and that <laughs> seemed very cheating. strange to me no exactly it seemed very very odd to me and it, 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 there's a part of me that's still bucking at it as, um, <laughs> because I sort of I suppose I've, I'm I'm so used to the, uh, the way that we break the rules all the time now in cinema mm. and television um, that I think well why can we can we break that rule too? I don't, and I don't know. I'm still, I'm, I'm interested in experimenting with that, but it, it's nonetheless an important, you know, it's a rule that's there for a very strong and, and, and important reason. So I needed to 
get myself across that. Mm. Um, and there was a lot, there were a lot of things I had to learn in the world of illustrations because that is so sort of <laughs> bound by matters of, you know, formatting page size, um, you know, the, the margins, there's a whole lot of stuff and I'm enumerate. So that was a, that was a real, that was, that was a <laughs> struggle for my poor, my poor designer. It was brilliant. So, uh, I mean, it- she really helped, she really helped me a lot. She was so great. Um, and we worked out this great shorthand of where I would finish an illustration and take a very high definition photograph of it on, just on my iPhone and send it to her. And within what seemed like minutes, she could lay it up on the page and send it back to me as a, a PDF and say, what do you think? She oh, was, wow. I mean, she was, just a, she was a master. It was great. So you kind of got your collaboration after all. I did. I really did. And I think that, you know, that made a world's difference. I loved collaborating with um, the page layout and the design elements of it. I thought, you know, I had so much pleasure in that. And she just, you know, Liz um, Seymour did such an extraordinary job with that. So as an actor, you know, you're very used to putting yourself out there because, you know, that's pretty much what you do. But this is branching into a whole new area. So do you kind of feel a sense of, is there like with a profile like you have, is there an added sense of pressure like um, in the sense of, you know, success or failure? Were you worried about how it might be received or anything like that? I think I was really fortunate that I, that I, I didn't care at all. Oh, I mean, I, I still don't so really lucky. care. I don't care. Well, yes, I know. It's, and I do understand the, the, the privilege of that um, and that it's not obviously always that way for, for people who are, who, who, for whom, you know, writing is their, is their bread and butter. Um, it was, I guess I was doing it for different reasons. I just wanted to try another outlet for, you know, for, for the simple matter of creativity to try mm. something that I always thought that it always niggled at me. And I'd always thought, you could probably do that, mate, if you really, you know, pulled your finger out. <laughs> and so, um, so it was more about that. And it was, there was a part of me also that wanted to express something to my children about what you can, what you can do about, uh, you know, that, that, that you don't have to be, um, tied up in a, in a, in, in a, in a box, uh, hmm. Um, in 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 any one area in your life, that that creativity is a very broad range, expansive, um, wonderful uh, friend that you have with you in your life, and it can come out in an abundant variety of ways. Which is an excellent lesson. I think so, and you know, I, you know, I hope that um, I hope that that it's that it's um, yeah, I hope that's something they take with them that you can. Because whenever I've seen that thing expressed, I've always found it so exciting. I was giving the, the example this morning of sort of walking through a Picasso exhibition and just seeing, suddenly seeing these walls and walls of the most beautiful ceramics you've ever seen in life, mm. you know, and they were obviously Picassos. But at some point on some morning, on a, you know, bright spring morning, he's woken <laughs> up and thought, right. Today, I'm now going to give that you know, a go. Now it's ceramics. Yeah. <laughs> and why not? Why not? Um, so I love that. 
All right. So now that you've discovered this aspect of your of your creativity and it's all going so well, will we be seeing another arty book? Is there any more in the works? Talking about another arty book, I'm working. I am working on uh, on another book um, as we speak. Although it's kind of treated finding time uh, of late, but yeah, I'm 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 working on another another work for sure. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, um, to finish up, we are going. I'm going to ask you our famous last question, which is, Richard, mm. do you have three tips for new writers? I think um, one thing would be the most obvious thing probably that everybody says, which is you just write. Mm. Um, you just have to write. You have to fill in those three hours. Set yourself a limit and stick to that limit. Um, you know, and, and well, you don't have to stick to it. If you're really on a roll, obviously, you know, keep, <laughs> keep going for God's sake. But, but just write and don't, don't fret about mm. it. You know, just write garbage. If it's garbage, just write it. Because I think I, I had um, spent a lot of time Second guessing myself, and that was my undoing along the way with trying to 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 um, get into the, the whole writing thing. Mm. Um, another thought would probably be um, another very simple thing, which is that you have to find the the joy in the expression of it yourself. And again, you know, I'm aware that that sounds like so blindingly obvious, but you can lose that. So there's something that was driving you in the first place to want to write, and I think you need to keep keep a hold of that um, because um, you know that's that's the kind of that's the pure thing that will carry you through. Um, and I I guess you you need to have a very clear relationship with where you are in the story because that's the way that the story has a vulnerability to it and the vulnerability is everything. So even in a story with this, with this sort of wacky array of characters that, that Artie has, there is a, you know, there's a rawness to it. There is a, there's an emotional rawness to it. There's a mother who comes out of, or without giving too much away, because there are any nine-year-olds listening, I doubt it. But, we but, never know. But, you know, there's a, there's a mother who comes out of a kind of almost moribund state who's dragged out of that state by the terror of seeing her son in, a, in an awful predicament. And so, you know, you have these moments in there that are, that are you know, that are really straight, strong and key. And so that, that's me in the story and mm -hmm. look honestly that's me and my relationship with my mother mm -hmm. so no matter how what I found I suppose was that it's, it's surprising how autobiographical even the most wacky work is and so find yourself find where you are in the story and put yourself in it that's a great tip. That's a really great tip. Thank you very much for that. So um, that's all for today. Thank you so much, Richard Roxborough, for your time today. And best of luck with Artie. May the grime wave take over the world. And uh, we look forward to seeing what it is that you come up with next. Thanks, Alison. It was great.
Oh, wow. I mean, how in the world are some people so multi-talented? Like, if it's not enough that you can be an international actor, you can also write books and you can illustrate them. I know. It's quite interesting, isn't it? And I thought the journey of, you know, how he came to write it and, you know, the fact that, you know, I think that, that he's so kind of, you know, upfront about how much he had to learn about the publishing process was mm. was really quite endearing as well. And I think that um, the fact that I, I guess when you are a, a sort of creative person, I you know, and you have the time, I guess the opportunity to actually explore different aspects of that creativity is a real gift. And, you know, mm. you can sort of hear that he uh, is very much um, – you know, that was the aspect of it that really drew him to it was an aspect of, was that whole thing of like, well, uh, you know, I, he directs films and and TV and things as well. And it was just that notion of, well, I'm just going to see if I can do this and see how it goes, you know, and see what happens. So, um, Mm. I think that there's a lesson in that for all of us, you know, have a crack, see what happens. More of us should do that. That is so Mm -hmm. true. That Mm. is absolutely right. If you've been thinking of embarking on a particular creative project, but have no experience at it, don't worry, just give it a go. I mean, it would be fun anyway, at the very least. Well, yeah, and I think you learn like every – I guess, you know, if you know, if I was to suddenly take up painting, which mm. I think we would all probably fall over at <laughs> for me to do that. Um, I did do art in year nine and it was not very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I didn't – I quite enjoyed it. Like I'm absolutely crap at it, but I really quite enjoyed it and I, and I can see how – exploring different aspects of creativity um, do bring other things to your to, to your writing if that's your main form of of, of things I, I like to sing as well um, and it's it's just a real outlet it's a creative outlet but it brings yes. it brings such joy and such uh, you know it, it really kind of helps to fill that creative well um, just by trying something else you know try something different what's your signature song al what at karaoke yeah. Well, you know, this is my biggest issue with the whole thing is I don't – well, I do go to karaoke. Okay. <laughs> I usually go to karaoke with my brother, oh, wow. who is also a mad karaoke fan, and we have oh, the wow. most hilarious time. Um, but I have to say that my biggest problem with karaoke is mm. always trying to decide what to sing. I oh. haven't really settled on a signature song. Are and kidding? so some I know, I need to because sometimes I'll be sitting there like for hours trying to work out what I'm going to say. I get, I get overwhelmed by choice. That's silly. There's books. It's too much for me. <laughs> I can't cope. Well, so can maybe, you narrow it down? Um, no, not really. Mm. I just I just sing. Well, what's yours, Val? You tell me yours and then we'll, we'll go from there. Fame by I'm Irene Cara. Really? Do you sing it like that? Just out of <laughs> because I Maybe. loved watching that show when I was little. Maybe what we need to do, okay. Did you watch I, it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, no, maybe what we need to do is we need to have an outing, Val. Ooh. We need to have a let's let's find Al's karaoke song. Yes, outing. yes, yes. Okay. Maybe, maybe after the birthday lunch. I'll Facebook live it. <laughs> what do I have to sing like four different songs and then the crowd chooses this? Oh no, maybe not. We'll see not. if anyone turns their chairs around. <laughs> well, I got I got some fantastic advice from my brother one time because we were discussing you know the perfect karaoke song and he has many. He actually is quite good at an in excess Michael Hutchins oh. thing, but we won't go there. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
he told me that the, the key to a great karaoke song is to make sure that there's no instrumentals and there's no oh. standing around. You want to basically, you want a song that just keeps going forward all the way. Oh, mm. that is, yes, mm. that's good advice. Mm. Well, the thing is, we think. If anyone has any suggestions for me, please tweet them, okay? If you can yeah. think of a signature song for me to sing at karaoke, then I would love to hear it. I would just like to add, though, um, mm-hmm. that with Fame by Irene Cara, even though there is the instrumental bit. You dance? What, no, no. What you do is because remember with the opening credits of Fame, she actually, Debbie Allen actually talked through it and said, you got big dreams. You, you don't, seriously. Please, please tell me you don't do that. Yeah, I do. And suddenly I want to do the karaoke night even more, Valerie. (laughs) Seriously? Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) We want to give a shout out to Carly Napier. And Carly had done advanced fiction writing techniques at the Australian Writers' Centre just last year. And congratulations, Carly. She now has a publishing contract with Hachette with her debut novel out February 2018. So we're going to keep a very close eye on that and definitely circle back to catch up with Carly once that's out. But that is such an ex- such exciting news for one of our graduates. Well done, Carly. That is fantastic. And I'm very pleased to see that Carly has a website. Yes. In fiction. She writes and it tells you straight up that she writes historical fiction. Fantastic. Go, Carly. So we're going to know exactly what's going to happen. So that's fantastic. Well done. And even though you might think, okay, February 2018, that's a little while away, uh, it's so important for if, – if, if your book is not even at contract stage, to start building your author platform now, isn't it now? It absolutely is. And I'm loving this. I'm just, I'm on Twitter now and she's shared her contract and I'm retweeting because I'm so excited for her. It's fantastic. Brilliant. Well done, Carly. Yep. And if you start building your platform now, then you will already have created your own community who will tell people about your book and want to support you when your book is ready to come out. And of course, this and other great platform building tips are available in Al's course, fantastic course called How to Build Your Author Platform. And you can find out more at writerscenter.com.au slash platform. So, Apart from karaoke, well, I know I'm not going to karaoke this week and you're probably not going to karaoke this week, but we should make it happen at some point. No, but I am going to spend a lot of time now trying to work out what my signature song's going to be. You should, for sure. Sure. We could have a lip sync battle, except we won't be lip syncing. (laughs) I think I'll just be laughing so much at your talking over the top of the instrumental that yeah. I'll be gone. Anyway, yeah. yep. Um, well, what, what are you I doing do? this week? Yes. Uh, well, I will not be singing because I will be structurally mm. editing. That's what I'll be doing. That's oh, what I'm doing. I'm okay. deep into it. It's got to be done by next Friday. Um, and it's definitely got to be done by next Friday because, A, that's the deadline, which is right. helpful. But also I, I need to finish it before I start NaNoWriMo on the 1st of November. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> yes. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so I'm wh- busy. Yes. Well, I I might be singing because um, I have just filed a couple of major stories that and like um and a big document that was due to a corporate writing client. So I've been under quite a lot of stress with Ooh. some pretty major projects lately, and they've now come to an end or c- close to an end. Or you know, so that's a big relief, and I'm thinking of rewarding myself, not 
with Banoffee because really I'm eating a bit too much of that. Um, but <laughs> See, this is the trouble with rewarding yourself with food. I know, I know. But with, um, you know how you can redeem things on your rewards points? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking of redeeming um, with my rewards points these Bluetooth um, Bose noise-cancelling headphones, which Ooh. also have a microphone so that, you know, if your phone goes off, you can answer the call. Um, but I intend to wear them and listen to music and probably, you know, bounce around the house singing. Oh. Yes. And there's a image that will live with me for quite <laughs> some time. <laughs> Right there. there are you're going images. to be practicing for our karaoke off, aren't you? That's right. That's right. <laughs> See, the pressure's on me now. I don't even have a song and you're already practicing. Well, if you can suggest a song for Al, please do reach out on social media and let us know. Speaking mm. of which, where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. You will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer and you will find all of the things Um <laughs> including my latest post, which is about my three writing superpowers yes, and how you can help your kids find theirs, which yes. has gone completely nuts in the last week. Uh, you'll find that at alisontate.com. Fantastic. And, of course, you can sign up for Alison's newsletter at alisontate.com as well. Um, you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram at Valerie, <laughs> at Valerie Koo, which is K-H-O-O. And uh, I'm Valerie Koo in Sydney if you look me up on Facebook. Mm. But thank you for listening, everybody. And we look forward to chatting to you again next week. We do. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.